Hello and welcome to another episode of One Perfect Game, the show where we talk about games and the people who play them. My name's Matt Tilby, I'm your host for this adventure. Come and join us. Ladies and gentlemen, this week we have a guest who has, well, been a bit of a jack of all trades, I guess, uh, as it is with the well, the last few uh, podcasts, it seems. Voiceover artist, a, po- a podcast host on, it seems like a podcast for every single day of the week, but of course, uh, he's most well known for his work as a co-host on the Football Ramble, one of the uh, biggest and best uh, podcasts going around at the moment, uh, and of course, as a uh, radio DJ on Absolute Radio in the UK, I am of course talking about Pete Donaldson. Pete, it is a pleasure to have you here. Hey, Matt, thank you so much for letting us come on. I love to chat about video games because I love them very much. <laughs> it does seem like something that uh, you seem to discuss, even in your, uh, well, most of your other podcasts, it seems, and it seems like you, <laughs> you've been in quite a few quite recently. Obviously now uh, the, well, I guess, the launch, I guess, of uh, Radio Stakhanov, of your, uh, your, your podcast sort of channel or um, sort of network, I guess. And it seems like you're in quite a few. It's uh, you've got the football ramble, you've got Wrestle Me, uh, a great podcast where you talk about uh, watching every single WrestleMania from start to finish, and you know that could take you quite a while. Um, <laughs> you've got abroad in Japan, uh, where you talk about sort of the the Japanese culture with someone who actually lives in Japan. Um, what else am I missing? Um, I mean, I think that's pretty much, to be honest. I mean, uh, January and February and March have been very interesting and very busy, uh, and I've spent a lot of time in Adobe Audition just editing podcasts. I didn't think it'd be this much work, to be honest, and, and I'm, I get this sort of anxious feeling when I'm not editing or I'm not doing something. So, yeah, it's abroad in Japan with a guy called Chris Broad, who quite a popular um, Japanese, or, or rather uh, English, but based in Japan, YouTuber. Uh, WrestleMe is uh, a man uh, called Mark who knows loads about wrestling. I don't know anything about wrestling, so basically he's teaching me about wrestling by uh, watching every WrestleMania starting in 1981, I think. No, 1985, I think, whenever the the first WrestleMania was, but we're around about, mm. we're up to about WrestleMania 8 or 9 now, and uh, it's, it's it's not getting any less weird, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really getting into it, to be <laughs> honest. And then... Um, yeah, it's really, it's really about the, uh, well, about, you know, about to get to WrestleMania 12 or 13, and that's when yeah. it actually starts, like, getting good. As a bit of a wrestling <laughs> fan myself, it's, it's a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a, a culture shock seeing someone who hasn't really had a lot of experience with you know wrestling um in that sort of sense and being you know basically sat there like in a clockwork orange eyes sort of peeled open being forced to uh to uh watch this <laughs> this car wreck of a uh, of, of a couple of wrestling events but um yeah i think within the next sort of few you'll you'll definitely find that there's a a lot more excitement to it because i think that's especially when you were a little bit younger sort of as well. Remember, yeah, I, I would sort of remember those a little bit more. But again, it's just, uh, just watching these sort of men um, with very interesting, unique jobs. And and it's the sort of jobs that you very rarely sort of hear about, the, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the constraints they have and the freedom they don't have. And, you know, it's just, it just sounds like a bloody hard lot of work for very little reward. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, you hear all these stories about it and... 
just not you know the amount that they get paid or the the lack that they get paid and apart from you know people like hulk hogan maybe mm. but um incredible really and uh, yeah like that was probably one of the, the big ones for me and then of course uh the luke and pete show which is uh you know done with your your good friend and football ramble co-host uh, luke moore which i guess was sort of just a a bit of a free time thing that sort of turned into something a little bit more regular really yeah we just started doing that in the summer and uh it's just kind of rumbled on really it's, they're fairly easy to record at the mo- i mean well i don't know how many episodes we're in. i think we're about 50 or 50 or 51 and um mainly most of the content comes from the people who email in so it's it's kind of self-propagating in that way uh and uh yeah a lot of fun to do a lot of fun to do that one all of this sort of podcast work and especially the voiceover work that you do and um working at absolute radio when you were younger was it something that you were sort of interested in doing or was it something that you know especially for me as um i've been told like so many times oh you've got a, a voice for radio or you've got a voice for podcasting or something was that something that you were um, subjected to was a lot of people saying, look, you should go into something like voice acting or something that, you know, suits the voice that you have or was it something that you always really wanted to do when you were growing up? I think anyone who could hear my voice right now would uh, think that that was definitely not the case uh, because <laughs> actually quite hard to listen to. But no, it was very much, I, um, I was working for local government and to be honest, I was such a shy child and such a shy man. Um, you know, I, I, was, I was a class clown when I was at school and stuff, but... When it actually came to um, you know standing up in front of anyone and talking or speaking uh, in any kind of ordered way, you, you'll figure out I'm terrible at it. But uh, I, I sort of moved out of London when I was about 22 and started work for local government uh, and discovered a couple of radio stations in London, XFM and, and a couple of others, and and uh, I just really liked them, really really enjoyed. And I always ever wanted, I only ever wanted to be like a sidekick. I never wanted to be like um, a presenter because. You know, you, you, the presenters have to actually do admin and they have to be quite ordered in their mind and they have to be quite clear about what they say. Mm. And that's not me. <laughs> but I've managed to kind of limp along for the last 10 years, uh, it, it, you know, with some semblance of a career. So, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll get we'll get there at some point, I'm sure. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly interesting to see how it's sort of evolved, you know, not just the radio sort of presenting, but also the football ramble, which has sort of become... This sort of... Well, started as this sort of kitchen-based production quite literally and sort of became mm. something and morphed into something that's bigger than anyone would have really expected. Are you sort of surprised at how big um, the sort of team and the production has got, especially considering you guys have now, you know, moved on to even a spin-off called, uh, called On the Continent? Um, are you surprised at how big and sort of supportive this sort of community is? Uh, yeah, I think it's... I mean, it's very much... Um it all kind of hinges on how successful the companies are that are able to uh, monetize some of our work, I suppose, advert-wise. Um, that's only come around in the last few years. There was a tipping point about three or four years ago that we were genuinely going to can it because we were just... It had taken something like, you know, six or seven years to get to a point where, yeah, people were listening, but it was actually quite hard work um, to, to produce something that just wasn't... We, we couldn't spend as much time as we'd want to because we all had day jobs and we all mm. had to have day, day jobs. Um, but, uh, you know, our, our host, uh, our host um, Acast and a couple of other places that we've been able to, um, you know, find some kind of revenue streams with, with just bespoke content or adverts and things like that have, uh, have allowed us to build our own studio, have allowed us to um, concentrate on podcasts as a, as an, as a you know, I was going to say art form, but as a, as a discipline. Well, for you guys, of, it is, um, I mean, yeah. 
<laughs> it really isn't. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but the uh, but we, yeah, I mean, it's, it's got to a point where it's looking after itself. It's wiping its own behind, so to speak. So we don't have to worry about you know f- finding so much work outside of it. So we we can concentrate on it a little bit. And I think I think the podcast. Um, can, can get better though all of the podcasts can get better and we can produce more content and we can produce more things so yeah it's it's all uh it's it's all good at the moment i mean no doubt brexit uh, will will give us a couple of <laughs> things we need to think about and you yeah, know there'll exactly. be a financial crash no doubt um and, and we'll have to reassess but that's uh, that's life that's running a business isn't it i guess yeah pretty much i think um you know especially seeing how your podcast had grown and especially that sort of quick slate of podcasts that you guys had really popped up in quite a quick amount of time really was was testament to how much that you guys really just enjoyed the podcasting sort of scene um and and that was i I guess a real influence for me and um wanting to do something like this and and seeing how much of it was just a, a hobby but then it also just became something that you wanted to do as a job um and that was really sort of important for me was just obviously to enjoy it firstly but um and just seeing how you guys had really turned it into something that was bigger than itself, um, which was which was really pleasing. Um, but of course, like I mean, surely the the live shows and that that sort of live aspect as well for the football ramble is something that you don't really get to experience much as as sort of a podcaster because obviously you're in a room by yourself or with you know mm. your, your your couple of co-hosts and there's not a lot of you know fan engagement apart from maybe some emails or some you know twitter following and stuff like that so surely it must be a bit of a a bit of a culture shock or a bit of a change to sort of see um these people in the flesh and sort of seeing you in the flesh and and sort of having a bit of a different sort of style to that sort of presenting yeah i mean we we haven't done one in a little while but uh yeah it is really enjoyable i think we need to sort of start to get on the on the back on the horse uh, with that we we did a, a big tour because we, we we brought a book out about a year and a half ago now two years ah yes um and and uh we we did like a kind of book tour on that and then we just started doing our, li- our own live shows anyway and uh, they're a lot of fun they're always a lot of fun everyone's always uh, in in fine fettle um my only advice is that you, if you ever do a podcast live show about football don't do it on the day of the FA Cup final because oh, everyone's drunk, God. incredibly drunk. Oh man, that was in so, London yeah. as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was two London teams as well. So we we couldn't have picked a worse day, really. Oh jeez, yeah, not uh, <laughs> not 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 wise uh, choices made there, of course. But uh, no, certainly raucous anyway. Yeah. Oh, I guess it makes it a little bit more fun, a little bit more unique. Mm. But um, <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, of course, we are here, Pete, to talk about games. And, of course, you are mm. a big uh, games person yourself. Uh, we always usually like to start the show off uh, with each guest talking about uh, well, their first memories of video games, or at least the first that they can remember. Um, so what mm. was something that you, especially in your childhood, that you could remember were the first experiences you had with playing video games? And what was that sort of first experience like? Yeah, I mean... Uh, I. I'm I'm well aware that I'm sounding like the, the world's oldest man when I say uh, my first gaming experience was uh, on the Amstrad CPC. I don't know whether you had that down under, but it was certainly. I don't think uh, I've ever heard of that kind of before, piece. to be honest. No, <laughs> it was kind of like Spectrum. Did you have Spectrums and Commodore 64s? Well, we definitely had it the was, Commodore. Um, yeah, I've I've heard of that. Right. One. Okay. That's showing how right, uh, okay, well, young how how young <laughs> I am. But yeah. 
Well, weirdly, weirdly, my first uh, uh, games console was actually the um, Xbox 360, oh, which yeah. is pretty mad. I, I'd been gaming for such a long time before that, but I'd always had a PC or an Amiga or a Amstrad. Uh, so Amstrad was a, 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 an 8-bit machine from back in the day, back in the 80s, and... Um, my dad was an electrical engineer and he'd basically rigged up this kind of mad kind of switching box and modulator and, and television uh, sort of uh, colour monitor. I had a colour monitor and I had a green screen monitor. Uh, the green screen monitor was an official Amstrad product but the colour monitor was taken out of an old um, kind of digital fruit machine that he got given for free but he was oh, an electrical wow. engineer so he kind of he kind of, he kind of jerry-rigged it and kind of, you know, you soldered it all together. Um, so my first computer my first gaming uh, system was basically looking through looking through like a perspex screen my dad had put together uh, on <laughs> and, and the, the monitor enclosure was basically this wooden contraption it sounds barbaric it really does my first joystick uh, was a joystick my dad built from scratch from micro switches and a little pole and uh, yeah it was all very uh, quaint but uh, I, I think that uh, I think that gives me that kind of earthy kind of uh, memories of uh, of gaming past and sort of, you know, telling the kids with their dual shock fours or whatever, yeah, you don't know you're born. You don't know you're born. My first joypad was a was a stick, just a stick with some switches. It all, it all just reminds me of together. that episode of The Simpsons where Homer's trying to make, um, like, the grill and then it's, it's like, oh, he turns it into art. But um, it sounds very familiar because <laughs> yes. it's like, yeah, you've got all your, your fancy sort of, first uh first party consoles and everything and my dad's made me a computer out of a a fruit machine and some perspex (laughs) glass and a sort of like a a wooden sort of contraption and but that's like to me as someone who's always had you know the the actual products and, and all that sort of thing i never get to hear things like that so it's really interesting to hear you know these stories of handy handyman work and things like that which i think are well you don't get enough of it now i think no, well, I, what I would say is that I think that things are coming back round a little bit. There are these makers that just online, you know, they 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 patch, they add HDMI ports to old NESs or, uh, or SNESs, uh, and they and they they do some amazing stuff with some quite antiquated technology, and they 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 seem very switched on in in that sense. Um, so I do watch a lot of these videos where people are making stuff from scratch, making their own little portable versions of of larger consoles and things like that. I, I do find that sort of thing incredibly fascinating. Uh, if you watch any, is it Ben Heck and and uh, um, I'm trying to think of another one who who might be doing it, but like Ben Heck did um, a. Do you remember there was a SNES? PlayStation kind of crossover and there was only like two ever built it was like a Nintendo yeah, so and Sony this was like um, machine. yeah this was like uh, pretty much just before uh, I think the PlayStation 1 was announced they did a sort of joint venture mm. um, and yeah. the fact that they fell out was pretty much the catalyst for uh, the console wars I guess was was them sort of you know the Nintendo or the Super Nintendo and the um, or the, the Nintendo 64 and then it would become and then um, the PlayStation 1 was sort of like out of this direct result of um, this, you know, console that never really went anywhere. Um, mm. And that was sort of, you know, as a little kid and hearing about that was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, this is something you don't expect to hear because you've always grown up with either Nintendo, 
PlayStation or you know something mm. else entirely. Of course, Microsoft. So, so, came some of the later. most interesting products are like uh, the ones that never really went anywhere, like you know the 3DO and the Jaguar and, yeah. and all of these kind of weird systems that were kind of halfway houses, you know, released exclusively in China. I think there was a, a version of the GameCube only released in China. It was this weird kind of hybrid mashup mess, uh, just these little patch kind of things, but they were released in very small batches. And and, mm. and I love kind of watching. I, I watch so many of these videos where these people have just found these old computers and old bits and bobs. Uh, I, I, I watch a lot of um, like old hi-fi, but there's a great YouTuber called Techmon uh, who's very, very good, and he just piles through really old technology, uh, things like um, laser discs and and, and um, oh wow, like yeah, the, the very early the, the very early HD um, the very early HD uh, technology that started on like records and things like that. It's yeah, like, it's crazy. I love stuff like that. I love stuff that technology that for whatever reason didn't manage to quite make it. Uh, but yeah, in in closing, uh, my earliest gaming memory was uh, playing on a playing on a, on a on a joystick on on the old Amstrad CPC six one two eight, which is a, a disc based system. Um, mm. The discs were rather um, uh, rather small, uh, and I, I pretty much used everything on uh, uh, from tape, really. But, uh, yeah, my first game, I think, might have been Jet Set Willy, which was a, a platformer, an unlovable, uh, a lovable but unlovable in many different ways, a platformer that was just so darn difficult. It was the sequel to Manic Miner. Uh, it was software projects, I think. But, uh, yeah, that, that was quite big back in the day. Yeah, you're certainly uh, showing your age now for sure because I have absolutely no idea. I'm going to have to Sorry, Google man. this, I think. <laughs> but um, it was it was weird. It was like this kind of it was this because th- um, it, it was uh, it was made at the time of like the miners' strikes and Thatcher and stuff. Uh, ah, and Miner okay. Willie, the the main character, was like this kind of. Um, uh, pastiche kind of satire uh, and he was he was a miner who uh, I, I can't remember what his job was in the first thing but the second one was he'd be he'd stop being a miner and he was now an aristocrat and he had this massive uh, mansion and he would run around this mansion uh, trying to tidy up before his uh, his wife or his uh, keeper would uh, let him go to bed so basically the whole job was basically he had to go through this massive mansion that had 105 screens didn't even scroll Matt didn't even scroll it was <laughs> it was all screens and uh, and he had to collect all of these glasses and then he had to get back uh, just so he could go to sleep I'd never saw the end of it because I think I collected about three glasses and died every single last time because <laughs> it was bloody impossible and very <laughs> unforgiving I was going to say most games were back then before you said yeah, you know you didn't get anywhere before before you died, I was going to say this. This game sounds very quaint, very, uh, very nice <laughs> yeah, and, pretty, and very yeah. light-hearted. You know, collect some stuff and clean up the house before you go to bed. Obviously, not now yeah. with everything like just that. Tidying, but, isn't um, it? <laughs> just tidy up the place and make it all fine. You know, yeah. the sort exactly. of style of games being being made at the time. But um, yeah, so you've. But I think. Sorry, you go. I think. I think. I think the. Um, I think these kind of games kind of, uh, you know, growing up and playing those little kind of text adventures and moving on to, like, graphic adventures, and I'm sure we'll talk about graphic, graphic adventures soon, it kind of informed me the kind of games that I quite liked. I quite like something with a bit more of a story. I'm not a big racing game fan. I'm not a big uh, shooter fan. I like things with a bit... I like animation and I like craft, and I think that's what um, what excites me about games. I love animation. I love uh, character I love colours. I love bright colours, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you've obviously started out with these sort of unique contraptions, I should say. Um, and then you've obviously <laughs> got a little bit older. What did what did you sort of go with um, when you were sort of, you know, a teenager or someone in the middle of school? What was the sort of um, the, the console of choice for you? Yeah, as I said, I mean, I've always been uh, Amiga and then, uh, and then latterly um, PC. 
PC Master Race. Um, but I remember my first <laughs> PC was like a it was like a four eight six kind of contraption, and uh, it was um, uh, I was playing stuff like Day of the Tentacle and all of the great oh, adventures yes. of the late nineties yeah. and early noughties sort of thing. All of those kind of ones that were just again I loved animation. So any game. They had a bit of craft when it came to uh, animation and, and, and things like that. I, I loved anything like that, really. Um, and the, again, my, my, my first kind of console was uh, Xbox 360. Ah, um, yes, yeah. games like Oblivion, games like Oblivion, games like Skyrim, uh, and then I'd, and then obviously moved on to a uh, to a PlayStation 4 now. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm at the moment just piling through all of the Yakuza games. They're so long. JRPGs are so bloody long, <laughs> Matt. They just they never stop. They well, just never stop, and it's just they're talking. They're always talking about nothing. Just get to it, guys. Come on. It's obviously so funny Which because yes. <laughs> um, I've I've literally just um, unwrapped uh, Far Cry Five today as it's come out in uh, yes, in Australia, okay, yeah. and it's it's mm. so funny to to hear about you know the JRPGs like you're talking about being so long, and then going into a game like Far Cry Five and even Far Cry Four did the same thing. Those those little Easter eggs where if you you wait for the certain amount of time right at the start or you you know you do the certain certain thing, you finish the game. You know you you find oh, that I hear, yeah I hear you, that's, the I hear secret Far, Far ending. Far Cry Five does that yeah yeah. It, it, <laughs> Far Cry Four did it especially well. Um, I obviously don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't played the game yet, but um, you you meet uh, the antagonist of the game, Pagan Min, quite quickly in the game and. Um, if you wait around for a certain amount of time, he cooks you a nice uh, a nice dinner out um, overlooking the uh, the Tibetan mountains, I believe. Um, and it was just like a, a bit of a you know <laughs> you got to sit back and think like this guy is the villain of the game and he's cooking you a nice meal and then the credits roll and it's like uh, um, <laughs> sorry like I've had to <laughs> I've had to um, and even in the Far Cry Five uh, I've been playing this evening I've been um, you know, fooling a couple of my friends, I took a, a screenshot of the uh, the credits and sort of said, "Well, that game, that Finished. game was great." And I, and they were like, "I'm sorry, <laughs> you didn't you didn't just complete the entire game." And I was like, oh, "Did you yeah. just speed run Far Cry 5? Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, it's great, <laughs> it's wonderful, I love day. it." Um, <laughs> I d- that was, I mean, to be fair, Far Cry 4 was a fantastic game. I mean, yeah, uh, and three was to be honest. I like I like any. Um, any, you know, maybe I'm just a bit of a radio geek. I just quite, I quite like the um, the excruciating radio man that was uh, on, on on both of them. But uh, <laughs> it was just a, it was a, it was a good old yarn and a great baddie as well. Like you said, Peter's a pagan man. Yeah. Um, he was uh, fantastic. Um, oh, as was, was it Far Cry Three? The crazy guy. Yeah, that was it vast. Was like yeah. Proper mad. Yeah, and then pig. Yeah. So I mean, I guess this new baddie has uh, really something to live up to because that's been two games where you've had uh, two very very. Um, very very strong antagonist like you say yeah i think that that sort of charismatic feel to uh, mm. uh a, a villain is is always something that um is is big for especially for me but i i know it'd be for, for you especially with your your love for you know games with a lot of story and a lot of um mm. a lot of setting and i think that would be i think that's something that really you know gets me going in a game gets me sort of yeah, invested yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. But I, and I think you know, opening it up for the first time um, and sort of seeing that villain, especially really quickly in the game, which is something Far Cry seems to do quite often. Um, they obviously want you to get to grips with who you're coming up against, and that was something really good that I enjoyed. Um, mm, but uh, look, we we might as well jump along to uh, well, a game you've picked for this uh, this episode of the podcast, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is a. Uh, a pretty interesting game and, and one that uh, 
relates quite well to what we've been talking about in terms of setting and, and sort of uh, a very colourful setting, I guess. Uh, Peter, what game did you pick? Um, I went for the LucasArts slash Lucasfilm uh, graphic adventure from the 90s. Uh, so apologies for age, Matt Tilby. <laughs> 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 Monkey, Monkey, Island, uh, Monkey Island 2. I went for Monkey Island 2. Um, it's probably my favourite game uh, historically. It's one of those ones where your favourite game... If it's got a story that you've sort of finished and explored, um, and to be honest, the pressure of having new video games all the time to play means that you never actually go back and uh, and go through it. But I just remember it came at a time where I had a little bit more free time and I was obsessed uh, about this game. I remember buying magazines before I'd uh, got a copy of uh, Monkey Island 2. It was 37 quid in WH Smith's, which back in the day, Obviously, a lot of money. Obviously, still a lot of money, and certainly yeah, a lot of money exactly. for a for a for a for a fourteen year old, or mm. however old I was. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just obsessed with this game, and you know, I used to draw uh, the 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 protagonist guy was three pud and the baddie ghost pirate LeChuck. I've got actually a, a ghost pirate LeChuck Monkey Island two tattoo on my leg, uh, all pixelated, oh, yeah. and, that. Uh, and I've had that for a few years. And, yeah. Uh, if 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 nothing else, uh, that. Uh, that shows how much I love that uh, that video game. I was going to say, if you're going so far as to get it tattooed on a, a piece of your body, you must uh, absolutely <laughs> love the game. <laughs> but um, it's it's obviously you said developed and published by LucasArts in 1991. So I was not even born at the time, uh, showing how young I am uh, for this particular episode. But um, had you played uh, the first Monkey Island, or would you, were you jumping straight into number two? I believe I might have played Monkey Island 1. Now, I don't really know why I was obsessed or so obsessed with Monkey Island 2, having never really remembered Monkey Island 1, but I'm fairly certain I did. Uh, I'm fairly certain I also didn't have uh, a legal version of that video game. The problem with the Amiga <laughs> games is that the, the, the disc size was very small. Monkey Island 1 came on, I think, five or six floppy disks, so you had to change them five quite a lot. Five or six? Uh, it, it gets worse. Don't you worry about that. Um... And then basically you had to sort of swap it every time you went to a particular location. You'd swap in a new disc because they didn't have hard drives. So oh, jeez. And they didn't have capacity. So yeah, yeah. Oh, it was, it was re- you know the paucity of choice and the paucity of uh, <laughs> that. But uh, yeah, it was um, it was uh, it was five floppy disks. I seem to recall. And the problem with copying floppy disks on the Amiga was that it was uh, they would frequently break they would frequently uh, have data data problems and you would frequently just be having to find yourself uh, in the middle of a crashed game so it wasn't ideal you kind of with any game that was over two or three floppy disks you kind of had to buy it uh, and so monkey island 2 uh, came on 11 floppy disks oh my god and one and a, and, a, and a save disc on top of that. Why? Yeah? Why? You don't know you're born, Matt. You don't know you're born. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like my literal hell. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty dreadful. And especially, and it, it wasn't helped by the fact that the backgrounds were all painted, these beautiful 256 colours, might be a little bit less on the Amiga actually thinking about it, uh, these beautiful 256 colour um, watercolours had been digitised and then an anim- the animations were very fluid and very um, technical. And uh, yeah, it was um, it was a masterpiece, but getting that down to 11 floppy disks, uh, a bit of a... a, bit of a um, a masterstroke in uh, in data compression, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, 
you know, having a look through and, and sort of researching about Monkey Island, it's sort of interesting to see how um, it was sort of revolutionizing that sort of adventure or point and click um, genre at the time because it was using mm. engines like Scum and iMuse for their music and even just yeah. watching old videos of it and, and seeing what it was like. The colors look, you know, even for that time, it looked really sort of breathtaking and eye-opening in the music while, you know, we've got, incredible soundtracks in games now at the time it was like no one had ever heard anything like this and and it was even such a a sort of a jarring thing to to see um or hear no sort of voice dialogue especially in the original game um and then with its hd remake in in sort of 2010 and um obviously that that sort of renaissance for point and click games having you know people actually speaking the the dialogue was a, a bit of a sort of jump for me i i wasn't expecting that um and it must have been sort of weird for you obviously seeing the game you know when it was remade in hd and sort of seeing that all of those people speaking those those words that you just sort of blip on screen and sort of just the music mm. and that was it must have been sort of weird for you yeah i mean you you i seem to recall playing that remake um in the 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 hd version uh and then i think it had a button that you could switch back to the original uh, graphics which is a really nice kind of touch yeah. i mean they didn't necessarily need to do that but uh yeah it was um it was nicely done really nicely done so i'd play through on the hd um and voice uh kind of uh, option and then i would um, flick back to um see what i remembered from the original so yeah it was um it was it was an interesting it was an interesting uh, little system, mm. um, but the scum in particular, uh, I can't really remember what scum stands for, but it's S C U M M, and it's basically the um, the interface and and how characters interact with each other, and that was used uh, again and again as we went forward. Around about the same time, there was a Indiana Jones tie-in, The Fate of Atlantis, yeah. which was uh, incredibly um, atmospheric and 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 as e- equally as beautiful as uh, Monkey Island, but not quite as cartoony. And just uh, what I liked about Monkey Island was that it was it was Ron Gilbert supplied like the the, the technical and puzzle sort of know-how. Uh, Tim Schafer uh, provided the character, yes. provided yeah, the. That's it. Um, yeah the humor and stuff like that he's a, he's a funny guy for better or worse and and i think um it it just really is a, a, a stunning um a stunning story and you know it just everything just came together and there's a reason why i sort of still remember it all of these years uh, later because there's just so much character in it and it was just mm. um yeah it was fantastic like you can sort of see even even now sort of looking through uh, and playing the game you can sort of tell that it's got that sort of tim schafer style humor towards it obviously games that he's done like psychonauts mm. and things like that had that very similar sort of um you know tongue-in-cheek sort of style and um even looking through the, the characters names and, and all that sort of thing it was very much a you know play on words and things like that it was it was a very sort of um you know just a bit of a parody of, of part uh part lore and things like that which i thought you know hasn't been done enough to be honest obviously with um sea of thieves coming out as a modern game um it's sort of people sort of realizing it for the first time or sort of younger uh, viewers and gamers are sort of jumping onto it but at the time when monkey island was coming around it you know there wasn't a lot of that sort of stuff coming out so it's obviously mm. a, an interesting sort of way of um getting people into that pirate genre which is a little bit underlooked or underloved i mean yeah i mean uh, i mean the pirates of the caribbean um i think ride was based on Monkey Island or Monkey Island certainly informed the Pirates of the Caribbean film I think is that um, true in, in a roundabout way yeah if, if you if you saw there is some 
it's not all parallel thinking. There's some similarities between them, between the two as well. I think there might have been a. Was there a guy? Was there a um, Monkey Island uh, reference in The Last Uncharted? There was. The yes, one, I was. was I was yeah, just okay, about yeah. to talk about it. Um, I think, uh, and obviously, I don't want to spoil any of the game uh, for anyone who hasn't played it. And if you <laughs> haven't played it, why haven't you played it? Because it's amazing. Go yeah. play it. Um, but there's actually sort of a hall where all of these pirates are. Um, basically, That's where you right, need to yeah. try and find the uh, the treasure, and, and basically, one of them has their uh, I think that has their name ripped off on their sort of their little plaque. Uh, but if you look at it, it's like exactly. It looks pretty much like a sort of um, nice oil painting of Guybrush. Threepwood, and yeah. there's like multiple sort of uh, references throughout this sort of little island that you're exploring. That's um, it's obviously that Guybrush has been one of these sort of um, these pirates that's that's come into this part of uh, part of the world. And um, reading up about it, it's obviously these these sort of the designers from Naughty Dog who who made Uncharted um, obviously were were such big fans of Monkey Island they wanted to put it in there. So it's it's interesting to see even now how much of an influence the game has on um, on people. Yeah, I mean, people will have grown up or, or grown up with it, uh, whether you're a designer or just a, a punter, and um, it's uh, nobody re- nobody really managed to kind of um, recreate, I think, the magic and the craft of of that video game. Um, I mean, obviously they do now because you know they've got massive budgets, but <laughs> the amount of pretenders to the um, kind of Monkey Island uh, Two Throne, people just had cracks all the time, and they they fell somewhere short because it just didn't quite tap into whatever Monkey Island 2 tapped into. They didn't have the animation, it didn't have the humour, it didn't have the this, the that. It was it was an interesting time, I think, the late 90s, um, when you sort of really liked a kind of genre, like the uh, point-and-click adventure game. Um, you'd see, so, there was a lot of them around, so you could sort of enjoy them each time, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a weird time. I mean, like, um, you obviously had certain games like uh, The Adventures of Sam and Max and, and uh, those sorts of very popular um, but also, you know, very cult, cult hero sort of status, uh, point and click games. Did you ever play any more sort of point and click, or was it very much you you stuck uh, you stuck to um, Monkey Island in that sense? Yeah, I mean, I smashed through all of the other um, Lucasfilm, LucasArts games. Uh, we had like uh, stuff like Day of the Tentacle, stuff mm. like Sam and Max, things like that. I mean, that was uh, that was something else. Uh, th- I mean, but again, these are all um, kind of Tim Schafer joints, full throttle as well. Uh, but then on the other side, you had um, you had Sierra games as well, which were a little bit more technical, uh, not as polished. Uh, but still fun in their own right. Things like uh, Police Quest. I was a big fan of the Police Quest series, mm, yeah. uh, which I think was the front, the forerunner for um, the SWAT series. I think maybe. Um, yeah. And then and then um, things like uh, Quest for Glory, King's Quest, stuff like that. Uh, Space Quest. I mean, there were some dreadfully uh, difficult uh, experiences in those games. But um, again, you know. It, there was a lot of uh, point and clickery around, and everyone was trying to be as good as Monkey Island too. But none of them managed it, which is just incredible, really. Mm. And I think it sort of goes to show the uh, the incredible craft that they've been sort of making, um, and especially that sort of that tongue in cheek humour that I said again. But um, yeah, I think looking back on it now, um, what what do you think um, about Monkey Island that sort of drew you in and sort of took you on that path of being sort of you wanted to be you know a gamer or you wanted to be 
um, someone who was interested in that sort of uh, that field. Why was it that you think that Monkey Island was such a an integral part of of your your youth and you growing up? Mm, I think um, I think in many ways you you, you sort of. Uh, I love the craft, and I still love the craft. I, I I never understand why gamers get so uh, annoyed or are so thoughtless when it comes to demanding a particular feature or demanding something of uh, of the video game creators. Because I mean, it's such hard work mm. making a video game, and and in in the case of uh, in the case of uh, Monkey Island uh, 2 and things like that I, I was drawn in by the craft I was drawn in by how beautiful the world was and how rich the animation was and how um full of character the the, the world was so yeah i, I think um i just love the craft i, I loved I, it was just a, a thing of beauty um and i think modern gamers um i'm not going to say entitled but they they do give developers hell um, and, and they don't really, weirdly, they, they don't have a handle about how video games are made. You know what I mean? It's, it's, mm. it's weird. They, they, they demand quite a lot, and yet they're, they're quite thoughtless when it comes to what that work actually means. Yeah, exactly. I think um, looking at that sort of the sort of gap, especially from a game like Monkey Island to maybe even a game like Uncharted, you see that sort of vast difference in you know gameplay and graphics and things, and we have sort of become a little bit, you know, like you said, entitled with what we expect yeah. from a game. But, you know, mm. if I was your age at that time, I would have been, you know, sitting down with Monkey Island 2 and absolutely loving what I'm seeing. Like, it, you know, it's a, a bunch of small pixels on a screen and there's no dialogue and there's, you know, a, a bunch of bleep bloops for, for music and I would have been yeah. drawn in. I would have absolutely loved what I was seeing. Um, yeah, yeah. And like I've said to a couple of the uh, guests before me, my first sort of game was Super Mario 64 for the Nintendo 64. Yeah. Um, having never seen or having never had any sort of comparison points to to uh, to compare it to, I was like, this is amazing. This is something that I've never seen before. And that, that sort of um, almost like that first time that you, you come up with it, it's always going to be a little bit special for you because, you know, you don't have anything else to compare it to. So even though you might have you know played uncharted later it's still that sort of very special has a very special place in your heart and i think uh, monkey island is always going to have that sort of place in in a lot of people's hearts for being that that sort of summation of the point and click genre um, and it was always Usually, that i mean uh, sorry you go i mean i think with sorry um Huge. I mean, like with um, the you talk about your first uh, video game being uh, Mario sixty four. I mean, what an incredible video game to start with. But mm. um, I uh, quite recently, I've I'd never played a Super Mario game on its original hardware. I'd kind of flirted with Super Mario sixty four on uh, the PC, like an emulator and something mm. and stuff. And I, I kind of got far into it, and you know, it was a lot of fun. But I recently got a Nintendo Switch, and I played oh, yeah. uh, Mario Odyssey. Yes, and Mario that's the first Odyssey time I've is ever fantastic. Sat down and played an actual video. It's the first time I've ever sat down and played a um, a Super Mario game, so it's it was quite nice to actually experience that on its original hardware and and sort of it's uh, yeah it was what a piece of work that is I mean like just experiencing Super Mario for the first time almost going wow I understand why these things are so bloody huge yeah especially like I'd I'd picked it up um, almost sort of opening day when it when it came out and. Um, I hadn't really... It had been a sort of a long time for me, especially jumping through uh, games like... Because uh, obviously I had Mario 64, but then there was a long period where I didn't have a GameCube. So games like 
Super Smash Brothers Melee and, and you know, even Mario Galaxy I hadn't picked up or even its sequel. So having that sort of time off made me sort of appreciate how big and how wonderful those games can sort of be, especially jumping into Mario Odyssey, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Masterpiece. I will, I will say that, yeah. Um, but even it's that same sort of thing for you, obviously, you know, even going back to that HD remake for Monkey Island, you obviously haven't had that sort of, you know, that amount of time where you've had that sort of time off to almost forget about your, your mind's almost wiped in a sense. Um, oh yeah, hugely. Yeah. To sort of just, you know, you almost forget that you've even played Monkey Island for the, you know, a couple of times. And when you've got that chance to jump back into it, it's, it's almost like you're playing it for the first time and it's a new sort of world. It's fresh to you. And, Obviously, the HD element to it's going to be a little bit better for you. But even playing, you know, in its its sort of blocky, blurry, sort of bleep bloop style, it was something new to you. And I, I feel like that was something that would have been influential in your your sort of uh, your childhood. Usually, and 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 most games that I like nowadays, are, they're they're story led. Um, like I said, I'm panning through the Yakuza games and stuff, and with brief flirtations with um, stuff like PUBG and uh, and FIFA, um, they're mainly games that have a bit of story to them. I'm really looking forward to Far Cry. I'm really looking forward to Yakuza um, Six. I'm really looking forward to um, basically all the titles that have got a bit of craft to them, got a bit of storyline, got a bit of you know, got a bit of an art to them. Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think that's, that's especially with a sort of couple of games that have come out, especially for like Far Cry, like you said, and um, I've only sort of just touched the surface, so to speak. So it'll be um, mm. interesting to see how far I go down the rabbit hole for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is pretty much it for uh, this episode of One Perfect Game. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with my guest today, Pete Donaldson, you can find him on Twitter at Pete Donaldson, and you can also find him on the podcast, The Football Ramble, at Football Ramble, where he does most of his work. Uh, but of course. Well, you've got a, a whole bunch of other podcasts that you could probably uh, direct people to if, if you'd like to direct <laughs> us to any other special podcasts that you'd like to uh, announce or... Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, uh, I'm involved in... Uh, the Winds Are Not, it's a royal wedding podcast. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, that's running through. There's uh, Daniel Krupa and uh, Joe Scrabbles from IGN uh, and um, uh, WrestleMate podcast about wrestling uh, uh, Luke and Pete Shaw uh, me and Luke talk about nonsense uh, football ramble uh, what else we got abroad in Japan with Chris Broad as well so uh, yeah there's plenty look if you like me there's enough of me to go around <laughs> if you don't like me watch out because you know I'm taking over <laughs> there's, there's a lot of Pete to go around it seems ladies and gentlemen mm, but uh, Pete it has it has been an absolute pleasure having you on to uh, to pick your brain about some very interesting pieces of machinery and uh, games that uh, well <laughs> Old, before my tiny time. Tiny machinery. <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry, exactly. Matt. I no, mean, it's, I it's... could have said. Oh, I don't know. Odyssey. Uh, have you ever played Odyssey: Journey to the West? That's really good. <laughs> Play that. That's my that's my tip for this week. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it's been good because it's <laughs> you've you've um, you've probably brought the uh, the average age up a little bit more, which is good because uh, <laughs> most of my my first couple of guests have been sort of uh, all around my age. Um, so it's interesting to get a sort of a, a bit more of a retro look. I'm not trying to make you feel bad and make you feel old or anything, but... Um, no, but I mean, I would I would argue that you've got a very mature voice. So as you said, you've got a beautiful uh, radio voice, so uh, you could be at any age, really. Oh, well, you flatter Without me, Mr. Donaldson, you flatter me. <laughs> Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for the episode. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so on Twitter at It's Tilby, or you can uh, contact the show directly at OGP Pod on Twitter. 
Uh, and that is it. Uh, we will see you again very soon. Take care.